Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Rick's World Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Corbley, and today we will be looking at the fascinating country of Swaziland. Or is it actually Eswatini? Anyway, to uh, look into all that, we are here with Melanie McKenna. Um, So Melanie is born and raised in Swaziland slash Eswatini and worked for Coca-Cola there for many years. Uh, before moving to Ireland with her husband and now becoming a business teacher over here. Uh, Very welcome to have you here today, Melanie. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And just going back to what you uh, mentioned in your introduction there, yes, it is now Eswatini um, and no longer Swaziland. So in 2018, um, the king changed the name of the country from um, Swaziland to Eswatini, but of course, um, hardly anyone calls it Eswatini. Well, if you were Swazi native um, and you've known the Swaziland all your life, um, you still call it Swaziland. Okay, and why did why did he change the name? People were asking because, as um, many would know, it costs a lot of money, a tremendous amount of money to change the name of a country, but. Um, the king had mentioned that, uh, you know, Eswatini is more native and he was wanting to get back to the roots. Um, and um, also because whenever, and I, I've experienced this myself, so whenever I tell people that I'm from Swaziland, the next thing they'd say is Switzerland. And they'd be like, no, 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 not Switzerland, Swaziland. Um, and I'd have to explain where that is. So I suppose Eswatini is more distinctive and more more native to the to, to the nation itself, really, um, because Swaziland sort of like, um, I think it has remnants of, you know, when we were under British occupation. So just getting away from that completely, I suppose, and just um, embracing our identity as Swazis was the whole notion behind changing the name of the country. Interesting, interesting. And so, yeah, what is the official language then of, sorry, going forward, should we call it Eswatini or Swaziland? I might slip up and go back to Swaziland <laughs> because I'm so used to Swaziland, but officially it's Eswatini, so let's go with Eswatini. Okay, okay, I'll yeah. call it Eswatini. Very yeah. good. Yeah, so officially what's the what's the main language or are there ma- multiple main languages of okay. Eswatini? Yeah, so we are unlike our neighbor South Africa, which has more than, I don't know exactly how many, but I know they have more than 10 official languages. Yeah. So Swaziland only has two official languages. So we have our native um vernacular which is called uh, Siswati okay and then we have English as well Um, obviously as I mentioned before we were British colony so English is an official language and in fact in the schools and the universities and all the um, institutions of learning we are taught not in vernacular but we are taught in English okay yeah oh very interesting and uh, just for the benefit of our listener, do you want to explain exactly where Swaziland is located? Right. So Swaziland is a neighbor to South Africa. So it's it's a landlocked country, um, bordered on each side by Mozambique, the very southern tip of, of, of um, Africa. We have Mozambique on one side and we have Swaz- uh, South Africa on, on the other side. So, very good, very yeah. good. And how big is it? What sort of a population or land mass does it have? So we are a very small country, very, yeah. very small country. Um, so we have a population of just over a million, so 1.1 million um, yeah. people in Swaziland. Yeah, so quite a small 
country. And um, from my research for this, I, I see Swaziland is one of the only remaining full monarchs in the world. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the king and yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, it's one of the last absolute monarchs in the world. So that means that it's completely autocratic. It's, it's, it's run autocratically by our king, um, who is His Majesty um, King Mswati III. And he governs the country in conjunction with his mother, uh, which is uh, the, she's referred to as the Nlohugazi. So the symbol um, for the king is a lion, and then the symbol for the queen mother then is an elephant. So Nlohugazi means um, elephant. So the queen mother is... is, is the elephant and the nation is completely um, governed by the king. Um, democracy does not play a, um, a role at all in Swaziland. In fact, political parties are actually banned in Swaziland, so Whoa. it's illegal to have a political party in Swaziland. Yeah. So the entire uh, parliament is appointed um, by the king. All the members of parliament would be normally approached and appointed by the the monarch. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so just, there's so many questions off that. Usually I go on and talk about, oh, and tell me a bit about the main political parties. But I suppose, yeah, for this one, it's probably just just how does society work? Like, um, you know, who, I suppose, yeah, like what sort of police system do you have? Or like who who decides what a crime is or who decides who goes to jail? Like just kind of some basic things like this yeah so it's that's a very interesting question because even the the police force so the the swazin police force force are called the royal um swazin police force so you know like you, just in that the royal swazin police force you get the sense that obviously the the commissioner and all the people in high positions within the police force would be appointed again by the king okay um and in 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 a society like that that is very autocratic you you can imagine then that um a lot of power imbalances between the population and the people that hold power okay so in terms of you asking about the policing like there has been out uh, outcry and and riots actually just in 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 um not riots protests i'd put it that way because people wouldn't dare really riot um so peaceful protests against um, police brutality. So police generally have um, a run-of-the-mill in terms of how they do things. So it's it's pretty much the best way that I could put it using colloquial terms is that it's the wild wild west when it comes when when it comes to police and 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 how they want to enforce the law. They very much have the upper hand and. Um, uh, there have been incidents, of course, of abuse of that of that authority, that power and authority. And as I said, up until recently, um, when uh, a student, university student, who'd been vocal about uh, the situation in the country, just went missing, and it turns out that he was in the hands of, in the custody of the police when he went missing, and there's sort of like no accountability because the power lies completely within the powers that be, if that makes sense. So yeah, so if the police basically pick up somebody from the street and decide he's guilty, can they just throw him straight into jail or is there is there a court service or is there even kind of a symbolic 
court service. Okay, which may... uh, yeah, so absolutely. So we, we would have a judicial system um, and, and processes that, that would have to be followed. But as I said, it's, it's very lax in terms of how it's, it's implemented. And um, I wouldn't even say lax. It's just a matter of, you know, um, if you have the power, you do what you want to do because you know that you won't be held accountable. So even though there would be processes and systems in place um, that should be followed in, in events like that, it's not always the case that, um, you know, the process, due process mm. is, is, is followed. And sorry, let's, let's take it back a little bit in terms of history. Mm-hmm. So obviously you said it's a former British colony. Yeah. And it's, I suppose, the neighbours, South Africa is a democracy, Botswana is a democracy. Obviously, there have been just, just plenty of countries around there mm-hmm. um, which aren't democracies, but some of, some of your closest neighbours are democracies. How yeah. did Swazi, or sorry, Eswanti uh, become a dictatorship like that? Take me back a little bit about the history of that, if you can. Well, um Swazi has always been, um, so when the when the British... So we gained independence from the British in, in 1968, in the late 1960s. Oh, quite recently. Yeah, 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 yeah very, very recent. But there's always been like um, a, a, a ruler in terms of, of, of a king. So it would be, the way that I can explain it is um, there'd be tribal leaders. Okay, so we've always sort of like had a king. But after the British left, um, you know, that's when the king really would, took up his place and took up his position. In, in society, but um, there, there has always been a leader or king in the sense, but then, you know, the power and authority was uh, subsumed after the British left in the 1960s. So when the British left in the 1960s, um, the king was King Subuza, the uh, King Subuza was his name, and then it is a um, genetic monarchy in the sense that, of course, the next person who was in line to be king was the king, was the son of King Subuza, which is the current king. And then the next king that is going to take over the reign is going to be the son of King Mswati III, which nobody knows at this stage who it's going to be um, up until the time they announce who it's going to be. Okay, and does the current king have many children? The current king has many children because, because... Swaziland um, is a polygamous society, so polygamy is illegal. So the king at this stage has, if I'm not mistaken, 14 or 15 wives at this stage. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and it's also a very patriarchal culture in the sense that um, if you're a woman and, you know, you want to prove your womanhood, you prove your womanhood by the number of children that you have. Okay. And not only the number of children that you have, the number of boy children that you have. Mm. So your status as a woman, um, you know, increases if you can conceive um, a boy. So if you can give birth to a boy... um, you know, you've done exceptionally well. So, yes, the king has uh, many, many children. I'm not sure of the exact number, but he has many sons and daughters, yes. Interesting. And, yeah, so it's it's polygamous. Now, yeah, my all basically my research before this has kind of taught me that polygamy leads to war because basically, uh, basically the richer, more powerful men take take most of the wives so as you said if the king has 14 wives that means that 
I know it doesn't exactly work out like this, but that there would be 13 bachelors by theory. Um, <laughs> Technically speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that it, it does kind of end up working. So I, now I'm going back a bit in history, but like yeah. that's actually why the Vikings ended up rampaging around Europe. Yeah. Was because the older men in the Viking society got all the women, and the younger men had nothing to do bar going pillaging countries like England and Ireland. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So what do the young males of, Sw- of Eswanti do today do they do they just go into south africa or um i have to say in the con it's in the context of swazin it hasn't been um it hasn't been that way it hasn't led it hasn't led to war it definitely hasn't led to any um bloodshed um i don't know if that has to do with the, the balance of the population um but it, it definitely hasn't caused any problems in history anyway um you know this whole polygamous culture um hasn't led to to any um, massive, you know, bloodshed on a, on a, on a bigger scale. But um, there seems to be, there, there, there seems to be, you know, it, 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 there seems to be enough to go around. It, it really hasn't been a problem. I, I'm speaking to many, um, you know, just looking around my family and my friends and uh, the people around me. It, it's not an issue. It's not an issue to find uh, a partner. Interesting. A lot. Mm. Not exactly sure the sums work out there, but it sounds like it's working somehow. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's that's fascinating. And sorry, just just on top of that, uh, so is there is there roughly fifty percent women or fifty percent males, or uh, as you said, males are more treasured? But then my my reckoning, I would think maybe more males would emigrate due to. But anyway, you tell me. No. You see, this is the thing about uh, Swazis. What makes it so distinctive from other African countries like Nigeria and, and Zimbabwe, um, we are not really a um, nomadic people. Swazian people aren't nomads per se. Like I'm in Ireland, for example, and yeah. the number of Swazis that I know here, I can count on on you know both hands. Yeah. Like we, we really aren't unlike our Nigerian um, brothers and sisters or our Zimbabwean brothers and sisters that disperse all over the globe. Mm. Like really, Swazis are gen, gen, generally homebodies who stay within their country. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that, um, it, as I said, I don't know the exact stats, um, but I, I think it would be um, the ratio of women to men would be would be higher. I think I would have to check that for you, but I think that that's that's where it stands. That's how it stands. Okay. I could be wrong. Okay, so you don't have to answer this question, but like, is, is your does your father have many wives or? No, 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 no. So um, that's interesting. So let me tell you the uh, this dynamic. So what happens is what happens very often is that traditionally the men would actually take the women as wives, like wed them and marry them and say they have three wives or four wives. And would the women have any say in this? You see, because of the, of the high levels of poverty, because, um, you know, people, a, a majority of the people would be living under the poverty line. And because it's a patriarchal society, many women wouldn't have the means to take care of themselves. Yes. So if a man came on the scene, Rick, and said, you know, I'll marry you and I'll take care of you, they would be more than willing then yes. to go where they could get that security, that sense of, of security I and understand. to be provided yes. for because they, they, they wouldn't have had the education to be able to provide for themselves. So, you know, technically, um, not really. It's circumstantial. It's circumstances that would lead them to agree to that. Yeah. Those kind of... Uh, 
Sorry, but I think I interrupted you in a point earlier that you were making about the changing structure of marriage within the country. So what's happening now, Rick, is that we have this whole culture, the young people call it the side chick culture. So before, the men would take the women and marry them, but what's happening now is that a man will have legally have one wife, but then have a slew of what we call side chicks. So women who he has outside of the marriage who he um, has relationships with outside of the marriage, but not legally marry them. So that's a lot of that is happening now. So we have these um, side chicks, they called. So that's what's happening in, in, in Swazi society. A lot of that is going on now. Okay, and why is this happening? Is polygamy starting to be looked down upon or...? No, it's it's not that it's, it's, it's starting to be looked down upon. I think just generally... Um, the sense, just generally, I think all over the world, and not even Swazi on its own, um, you know, there's a laxening of, 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 of morals when it comes to things to do with marriage and the institution of marriage. So where before, people were very traditional in their views of what, you know, marriage should look like, and I, I should get married, and we have to do this. But now people are more um, relaxed in terms of that. So people, you know, women don't mind now being the, the side chick, because as long as they have the benefits that come with that, that's what's more important. So the fact that, you know, he'll take care of me, he'll pay my rent, he'll pay my, my water and my lights, and as long as he does that, I don't care whether I'm legally his wife or not, as long as he can take care of the things that he needs to take care of. That's that's the most important thing. Interesting. And um, sorry, sorry, I, uh, I keep asking questions. And no, go ahead, astray, but go yeah, ahead. sorry, I was, I was asking about your own personal family. Oh, yeah, in and... my family. In my family. Oh, yes. And, and my family dynamic um, was different in the sense that, no, my dad didn't have two legal wives. But then that's what raised this whole side chick thing was the fact that even though my dad only had my mom, he still had a relationship outside of the marriage and even had um, a child outside of the marriage who was, you know, raised, who would, was brought to our home, to my mother's house and, and was told, hey, this is my son. And my mom knew about the other woman and, you know, it, it was like, okay, get on with life. We just get on with it. And that, that was it. Which sounds really crazy from a European, a yes, Eurocentric yeah, yeah. No, perspective, yeah, yeah. From a, yeah. a feminist perspective. Like, why would you put up with that? Why would you accept that if you're a woman? But it's just, um, it's, it's, it's by and large, it's, it's become very, very common, very, very common in, in Swazian homes. Okay, so do you mind me asking how many siblings do you have? So I have, um, we five altogether, so four siblings. Okay. So one sibling um, who born outside of a relationship outside of yeah. my parents' marriage. Okay, yeah, yeah that oh, that's only slightly larger than my own, and many people here in Ireland. So that's that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big mm-hmm. family, but it's not huge. No, it's pro- it's probably no, no, no. Is, is it small by Swazi? By Swazi standards, yes. Okay. Yes. So a Swazi man traditionally would have many more children than that, as you can imagine. If, yes. You know, if you had uh, multiple partners, you know. Interesting, interesting. And so, yeah, so sorry, just, just to stay on about yourself at the minute. So, obviously, you yeah. said women in general don't get that well educated, but you're, a, as we can all hear, a fantastically eloquent, very well educated, uh, an educator now yourself. Mm-hmm. So, how did, how did you um, 
do so well, I suppose. Yeah, I I suppose I was one of the lucky ones in the sense that um, it, it all also depends on your family background. So I was fortunate to be born into the family that I was born into. Okay. And in, 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 in the sense that um, my dad was a very successful entrepreneur. My dad was a successful businessman. Um, so it really, it was just a privilege. Yeah. You know, I was born into a family that could afford um, to send me to private school. So I wasn't educated in a public school. I was educated in a private school. And then I was sent to um, high school. We don't call it secondary school. Yeah, yeah. I was sent to high school in South Africa yeah. um, because my dad had the means. Okay. You know, so um, really, it's, it, 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 and my story is not, it's not... Um, it's not. It's not the case for many, many girls, unfortunately, in in Swaziland. Yeah, which is which is sad because obviously with yourself we can really see the benefits of of that's that that's really an old adage of uh, if you want to actually help poverty, educate the country's women. Mm-hmm. That's, that's usually yes. one of the most successful ways of doing things. Yes. In fact, in, in in my home country, we say if you educate a man, uh, if you educate a woman, you educate a village. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's very. It's very true. Um, no, this is fascinating. So yeah, you said you're, do you mind me asking what, what yeah, business did your dad run? Cause you said so my he... dad had a trucking business, so he okay. was a trucker. Yeah. 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 And he did very well for a very long time and we were able to enjoy the privileges that we did. What sort of goods did he trucker? So, um, pine, timber, anything and everything really. Yeah. Yeah. Which I suppose leads me on to the question of yeah, what are the main kind of jobs and economic prospects and yeah jobs i suppose yeah so the swaziland economy um survives mostly on the agri sector okay so we are big into agriculture Mm. and uh, specifically um sugarcane big producers of sugarcane which has taken a hit in in recent times because um, a lot of governments around the world have introduced a sugar tax so that has had an impact on um, on us as as exporters of of sugar interesting yeah yeah so manufacturing also so at the agri agri sector manufacturing and then um, a a small percentage uh, tourism yeah yeah So when you said manufacturing, what sort of goods would be manufactured in Aswanti? Yeah, and so it's okay. So we've had many textiles, so mostly textile. It used to be mostly textile. So we had a lot of um, textile industries in Swaziland. And then, of course, I used to work for Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola, the plant in Swaziland, manufactures the concentrate that uh, is used to make uh, Coca-Cola. So we would manufacture the concentrate in Swaziland, and we would ship it all over the world, New Zealand, Australia, yeah. and various parts of the world. Very good. And yeah. is that a big employer, Coca-Cola? Very big employer. Um, not, yeah, well, relatively, yeah. I wouldn't say, okay, let me put it this way, not big in terms of numbers, but um, one of the best paying companies in Swaziland. They pay very, very, very well. It's a, it's a dream of anyone and everyone who wants to work to get a job at Coca-Cola because they pay so well. Well, I have to say that's, that's great about Coca-Cola actually paying well. I wouldn't have known them as being an ethically paying company, but that's, that's definitely good news. And um, I suppose, yeah, what other multinational companies might we know that are located in Aswanti? Is okay. So we have uh, we had. I'm not sure if they sold there. So we had Cadbury. Cadbury had its 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 plant there, and then actually at the moment uh, Kellogg's 
is setting up a, a manufacturing facility there at the, at the minute. So, um, and then we have the various uh, banks in, in Swaziland who employ um, a big part of the population. So we have bank, the banking sector is huge there, all, diff- all sorts of different banks. And then um, another big employee would be the mills, the sugar mills. I mentioned before that we yeah. are um, growers of, of sugar cane. So the sugar, sugar mills would also be another big employer. Sorry, and just on the banks, is, is Swaziland kind of a, does it like to attract multinational money or is this just kind of purely Swaziland's residence money or is this money coming from abroad, possibly even tax implications or tax haven? Or am I completely wrong here? Okay, so no, I definitely wouldn't um, call it a tax haven. It, 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 comparatively speaking, like it, just comparing the tax rates in Ireland to Swaziland. So Ireland is at what, 12.5% and yeah. uh, Swaziland is 275 if I'm not mistaken. So no, the tax rates uh, for companies wouldn't really be low. However, what does give us a competitive advantage is the minimum wage rate. We have a very low minimum wage rate, which would be lucrative. For, for companies, because of course, as, as, as anyone would know, or business people would know, um, salaries and overheads are one of the, 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 you know, the biggest items on your income statement. So if you can get that lowest down, that means more profits. So yeah, so our minimum wage was last changed in 2011. And for a skilled worker, um, we're sitting at around around 600 rands or emalangeni. That's another thing. So our currency is called emalangeni. Yeah. Um, but it's equivalent to the the rand. So, and we use rands in in Swaziland as well. Okay. So is it is it stronger or weaker than the rand? Exactly on par. Oh, it's exactly on rand. par. Okay. Exactly so it's kind of tied to the rand. It's tied to the rand. Very good. I mean, South Africa is our hugest um, trading partner. So the way that I would um, you know describe it is is that South Africa is to Swaziland what uh, the UK would be to Ireland in terms of trade. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty natural. Um, being a neighbour. Yeah, being a neighbour, sure. Yeah. You have to basically trade who's beside you. Yeah. Uh, just for our listeners' benefit, I was in South Africa a couple of years ago, and I'm, I think the exchange rate was uh, 15 rand per euro. Yeah. So that's kind of just, just for our listeners, that's kind of the exchange rate right. difference. Yeah. Um, But anyway, no, that's that's all good. So, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see um why, why companies would locate there and... Um, and so on. Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic country in many ways. And but yeah, sorry, just but obviously the political situation is just so different. There's so many questions I want to ask. So like, so even just stuff on, to so say stuff like planning permission. Like if if I wanted to build a house somewhere, like do you just do you, do you pay somebody then you own the land? But then like you know, could somebody someday just come and basically say you don't own it? That is a very, very, it, I'm so glad you brought this up. That's very, very interesting because Swaziland has a, a different setup in terms when it comes to land. So we have something called Swazi Nation land, okay? Okay. And what that means is that the king owns the land. So a majority of studies, in fact, I have I have a friend who was in the real estate um, industry. He owned um, a real estate um, company in Swaziland and recently sold it. And, the, and, you know, and, and I thought the person was doing quite well. And when I spoke to him and I said, well, why did you come out of real estate? And he said, because of the whole notion of Swazi Nation land. So how this works is that the land belongs to the king. So the yes. king owns the land. 
and a, a chief is in charge of each area. So chiefs appointed by the king are in charge of particular areas. And so say, for example, Rick, you were Swazi and you wanted to build a house. Mm. So what you would do then is you would go to the chief and say to the chief, chief, listen, I need a piece of land. And the chief would say, okay, uh, not a problem. I'll allocate a piece of land to you. However, you do not get ownership of the land. So you pay a small price. So you have to pay. It's called quanta. It's called the quanta system. So you give the chief a cow or you pay a minimum amount, like three to 5,000. And then you have its uh, use of the land for like 999 years. However, you, you know, any, anyone in the powers that be could come at any point in time and say, well, actually, we need this land to do X, Y, and Z. So you don't have the security um, of, of, having, of owning it, if you, if you so wish. So that is how uh, the land, a majority of the land system is, is set up in Swaziland with the Swazi Nation land. Yeah. So that's actually, that, that seems very similar to maybe kind of how uh, communism works. Probably actually a little bit better that in terms of communism, you were kind of just given a flat and so on and kind of told to live there, where at least... Here, you probably would maybe a bit more say in exactly where you live. Yeah, you have a choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's probably better in that way. But yeah, in terms of actually owning something, yeah, yeah you don't really get full ownership, ownership. of it. But that, that, is a, that is a really, really interesting way of doing things. And just, yeah, so then like, I oh, just have so many questions. Like, so like, how does one you know, become a teacher, then how does one get paid as a teacher? You know, is that just from the government yeah. or like, yeah. Yeah. so. Yeah. So it's interesting that you, you actually mentioned that question, uh, Rick, because I've always wanted to be a teacher. Tell yes. This. I've always wanted to be a teacher. From the time I was very, very small, I remember I'd put my dolls, I'd lay my dolls <laughs> out and I'd get a ruler and teach my dolls. And however, um, because, Teachers in Swaziland don't get paid um, very much. They don't get paid very well. Yeah. And there's this whole pressure. There's a whole pressure on African kids. Speak to any African person that you know. Yeah. There's the whole pressure on African kids to be doctors, lawyers, accountants. Those are the professions that count for something in, in Swaziland. Yeah. So even though I knew that I wanted to be a teacher, there was no way I could have said to my parents, that I wanted to be a teacher. Absolutely. They would look at me like I was insane. So what I had to do was to pursue a career that was more acceptable and that paid better, which was accounting. Even though I didn't really want to do that, I wanted to be a teacher. So to your question, to answer your question, yes, teachers are paid by the government and um, the pay rates, as I mentioned, I alluded to the minimum wage is very, very low. So teachers aren't very well paid in in that part of the world, in Swaziland specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is very sad from my way of looking at it, because obviously uh, it's great from Ireland's benefit that now we have you teaching our youth and so on. But like, you, I would I would definitely think in in Swaziland, like you would be a help to so many so many young kids who who need a good teacher to tell them the basics, to learn more than the basics, to get educated, because obviously wealth comes so much from education Absolutely. like you can't you can't create things unless you understand the world so i agree 100 and um, so that's that that really is quite sad i suppose that well i suppose it's these things can be economic 
issues as well and just how much the government can afford and so on. This is it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I understand these things are never are never quite straightforward. But then you said yourself you went to a private school. So did you you have to pay the, the, those schools? Were they quite expensive or how were they? Now we're talking about the issue of schools. So you would think... Um, that when you go to a private school, um, that's when that's when you pay fees. That would be fee paying. Yes. However, up until very very recently, even public education you'd have to pay for. Oh. It was much cheaper than a private school. Yes, but you still had to pay, even till this day. So it's only up until a couple of years ago that only primary level education in a public school is free. Only primary. Okay, and secondary school is is not free. It's it's fee paying. So even even that time when I was in school, public school was also fee paying. It's just that you know private school was comparatively more expensive, but it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't the fact that you didn't have to pay for public school. No, you have to pay for public school. And does that mean that large amount of kids don't actually go to school at all? Unfortunately, that is the reality. Sorry for coining. You don't have to get the exact statistics right, yeah. but you know roughly kind of what percentage of Swazi kids might even go to primary school. Look, I, I honestly, to be honest with you, I wouldn't know, um, uh, you know, a, a figure really. I don't want to mislead yes. you and your your, your listeners, um, but I can tell you personal cases. In fact, when I came back from um, Swazi and I'd met uh, a young girl whose dad had passed away when she was six months old. And she, she's, she's not in school. She's not in school. And I actually started a drive. I came back and I started a campaign. I started a fundraiser um, to raise funds to send her to school. And I've managed so far to raise half of that. And she's at least uh, going to be able to enroll now. Um, but I say this to say that they are a plethora. I, I call this girl Mary in the, fund, in, in the fundraising campaign. There are thousands of Mary. Marys who are sitting at home, not able to go to school and get an education because there isn't any money to pay for the school fees. That is that that would be a very common, very 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 common finding. Unfortunately, especially I mean you, you know we know that um, many of the world's economies have taken a knock because of COVID. But yes. You can imagine in struggling and struggling economies like Swaziland what 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 the impact of COVID has been. On, on 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 countries like that. Yeah. So if things were bad before, they are significantly worse now. So and and that obviously is going to have an impact on, um, you know, parents' ability to be able to pay for their their children's um, fees. So we have a lot of children sitting at home at the moment, out of school because there just isn't any money. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for educating me and the listeners on Eswatini. Join us again next time as myself and Melanie look into more fascinating facts about one of the world's last remaining absolute monarchies. Hi everybody. We have some breaking developments since recording this podcast. Over the last couple of weeks there has been large-scale protests and riots on the streets as many young people are calling for democracy to be introduced to a Swanti. According to Al Jazeera News, dozens of protesters have been killed while neighbouring countries are calling for a peaceful resolution. Our thoughts are with the people of Eswanti and Melanie's family.